Hey now, sit right back or back. <laughs> Get comfortable. You are listening to Broker Talk, the number one weekly real estate podcast hosted by brokers with almost 50 years of experience in the real estate brokerage industry, including residential, commercial, investment, development, and marketing, including radio and television, magazines, books, whoo, websites, and of course, podcasts. Your Broker Talk hosts today are Larry Lawfer and myself, Jim Lowenstern. Evan is on the soundboard. We're once again broadcasting from the top of the Castles Unlimited Space Needle in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Larry? I am doing really well today. We've got a great guest with us, and we're going to be talking about dual agency. You like it, you hate it. Let's talk about that, but let's first introduce Mike Crone. I've known Mike for many, many years. I knew him first uh, for all the continuing education courses he taught uh, as the former vice president and chief operating officer of Chris Law. They did something like 12,000 residential real estate closings and $6.5 billion in annual fundings. And Mike went up and left that. He is now... uh, uh, currently the Senior Vice President of Corporate Development for Equity National Time, uh, a real estate title and closing service. That's a lot to chew on, Mike. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So, uh, dual agency. uh, There are only eight states in the entire country that have banned this. That's 15%. Why in the world are so many people up in arms about dual agency, Mike? Can you illuminate this for us? Sure. I mean, when you think about agency, uh, broker agency, what you're talking about is a fiduciary relationship between the real estate broker and the party that they're representing, either the seller or the buyer. Uh, That fiduciary relationship requires fidelity, honesty, um, but it also requires confidentiality and sole dealing, meaning that you're offering to your client uh, all of the expertise that you have, confidentiality in everything that that particular client uh, tells you or information that they give to you, and your sole attention to their particular uh, needs in, uh, in a transaction. Okay. So that's the fiduciary relationship that a real estate broker has with a buyer or a seller. How then is it possible to have that same fiduciary relationship with two buyers or a buyer and a seller? It's kind of impossible. Um, And that's kind of the reason why we're looking at, uh, many states have looked at, abandoning uh, the concept of dual agency because it's really impossible to be a dual agent you will breach your fiduciary responsibility if you are one. So, Mike, let me ask you this question because I'm a little bit older. Dual agency was the only way you bought a house for many, many, many years. This breaking up, when did the buyer's agent come in? Was that the 80s? And, and let me jump in. Uh, hi, Mike, this is Jim. Are, are you on speakerphone? I'm not. I'm on a, a headset. Oh, okay. All right. It's a, just a little hollow sounded. Okay. No problem. Don't he's, mind. Don't mind me. I he's, just want. He's not hollow. I just. I just knew we were just <laughs> moving too fast. I wanted to be the speed bump in the in the podcast. Exactly. 
But uh, it was the 80s when buyer's agents came into the field. Am I correct? It, it, correct. It was in the 80s. The late 80s, we started to see, in the early 90s, we started to see buyer's agents. And, of course, they were a real pariah in the market because, as you said, prior to that, everybody was a seller's agent. Um, there were no buyer's agents. So you represented the seller. If you're a real estate broker, you represented the seller. You, uh, you know, could participate in helping the buyer uh, in purchasing this particular property that you were listing, but you represented the seller, and that's the way things were. So, 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 wh- so why were those agency uh, uh, back then? You were just a seller's agent. Everybody was a seller's agent. And when buyer's agency came around, and you had a listing, and a buyer came in for your listing, well, you didn't want to lose it to someone else. You wanted to keep both sides of the listing, the selling side and the buying side. And so we started to see dual agency, agents representing seller and representing buyer. Again, the old form was you simply represented the seller and you assisted the buyer. So, but in so, a dual agency, you're acting as an agent for seller and buyer. So, so, so Mike, in the beginning, why were, um, why were the buyer brokers pariahs? Uh, I would think that every buyer would have gone through a buyer broker and not not going gone through the listening uh, agent. Well, because because when you were yeah, well, I mean, people really didn't like the concept of the buyer brokers because everybody was working on the same side before. If you were the listing agent and you were the selling agent, you were both representing the same party, the seller. Now all of a sudden, you had somebody mixing it up, causing a little controversy, a little hassle in the transaction by representing the buyer. And, by the way, now you've got to share your fee with someone who, in essence, is trying to get the price down. So right, that's, right. that's where the animosity so, so that So that was the big thing, that a buyer broker pretty much said, I can get you a better deal. Buyer brokers now don't maybe speak the same. Um, you know, it, it was almost the, the, the promotional or the marketing or the PR that, um, you know, our, a buyer broker today just maybe acts a little differently. Yeah, I think the buyer brokers today really are more facilitators in assisting the buyers in what to look for, make sure you get your radon test, make sure you're doing your inspections. Um, do, you want a, do you want a mortgage contingency? Here's what, uh, you know, waiving a mortgage contingency means or an inspection contingency. So they're acting in more of a facilitating role rather than uh, negotiating a lower price role. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of that, and I'm sure, obviously, it does occur, but, uh, but what I've generally seen buyers brokers do is, is just assist the buyers in understanding the transaction uh, from their perspective. I have uh, did a bunch of reading today about this, and I've uh, found some pros and cons with it. Pro uh, is streamlined communications, uh, that's usually because you're talking to yourself and just the buyer and the seller. So I get that. The con is that there's no checks and balances uh, between the two. And it, it sounds as if, and you use the word adversarial, it, it doesn't necessarily, the best deals are never adversarial. A win-win situation is usually when two people give up a little bit to get to that win-win, don't you think? Yes, that would that would be exactly right. Um, the uh, in a great scenario, both parties are are acting in the best interest of the client, 
and they're negotiating, uh, but certainly not trying to kill the deal. Um, you see it a little differently, I think, in commercial transactions where everybody's fighting pretty hard. Um, there are a lot of concessions in commercial transactions, and commercial brokers that are representing uh, buyers are looking for uh, all kinds of concessions from the seller, especially if we're looking at leasing, too, in commercial leasing transactions. Um, so it's a little different in commercial. But, yeah, you're right. In, in buyer situations, buyer-seller residential situations, it really isn't and shouldn't be adversarial. Same thing with attorneys. The attorneys shouldn't be in an adversarial position. It occurs sometimes, um, but that's not really where everybody wants to be. I think one of the other cons I read, and it, it was across the board, Realtor.com had it, uh, Trulia, all, all these these consumer sites were saying that it's confusing and most agents don't understand that you're no longer representing in the old car form, obedience, loyalty, disclosure, uh, confidentiality, the, the attributes that you were talking about that each agent gives to their client. You're giving up a little bit of that as a dual agent and you can no longer um, uh, help them with the negotiations. You are just the conduit through which the, the back and forth happens. Is that, uh, am I ex explaining that well? I think that's, I, th I think that's correct. I think the one thing that confuses um, buyers, however, is well, who is the broker really working for? And what if the buyer gives the broker, the, you know, the buyer's broker and the dual agency scenario, what if the, if the buyer gives them specific information that would show that they have, for instance, more money that they could be spending on this particular property but are not willing to, to, to disclose that to anybody? Now, they're also the seller's agent. So now they know this information. That's valuable information in a transaction. And so in that scenario, how are they going to separate that knowledge that they have about a very important facet of the purchase transaction? How are they going to separate that from what they're supposed to be protecting for that particular buyer? So we, we have a question. We get questions uh, every week, Mike. And um, so uh, Masha Spencer from Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, she, she's uh, saying, I'm selling my home, and I've heard about sub-agency and dual agency. She wants to know, should I be worried about either of these things? Well, of course, sub-agency is really something a little different. Sub-agency is someone or, or, or designated agency is someone within the same organization or someone that's working in conjunction with another party in the organization. And I think a lot of offices that have gotten away from dual agency have gone to designated agency where someone else in the office uh, actually um, is, is representing the buyer and someone else is representing the seller. At least there, there's two parties um, and those two parties are separate uh, and so they can keep information private and confidential. Um, I would tell her, you know, look for a designated agency rather than a dual agency if you can in the particular office. Um, I think as a buyer, uh, that would be something that would be more in the interest of a buyer than a dual agency. With so, the so, agent. so describe designated agency one more time. So that, that can be two agents in the same office who, are, who yes. one is representing one party, one is representing the other, and then not sharing information. Exactly, exactly. And there now, are some offices that have actually uh, banned dual agency 
uh, in favor of designated agency. But isn't designated agency, it's the same company, it's the same office, it's the same office under the same roof. Isn't there, right. isn't there the fear the of... But it's, well, it, there's a fear of that, but at least it's not the same person. But, but legally so, speaking, uh, as, as an attorney, and you, know, you, you look at the case law, um, have there been offices sued um, even, even with the uh, designated agency? You would have to prove in that scenario, and I, I can't tell you about the lawsuits that may have occurred, but I could tell you that as a trial attorney, former trial attorney, you have to prove that one of those that those those parties were sharing confidential information. That'd be very difficult. Okay. And on and, the other hand, and as long in a dual agency, you wouldn't have to prove anything because obviously the information is shared between the seller and the buyer's agent because they're the same person. Well, you still have to prove it. Uh, prove that you have to prove it that it was actionable. That you you know lost money or you didn't get as good a deal. Either side not getting as good a deal because the same broker was handling. So what about the case law right. there? Right. I mean, you, what you would be doing is looking at the, the basic agency principle law, the concept, the, the common law concept of agency principle. And I think, and I haven't seen it in court in Massachusetts, let's say, and I really only followed Massachusetts, where someone has sued claiming that a party in a dual agency scenario has breached their fiduciary obligation to one or the other party. But it's bound to happen. Right, but haven't they signed off usually that um, when they say it's okay for dual agency, aren't they sort of giving up their rights to, to, to the, the, come yeah, back I and mean, sue? It, it, there, there's a mandatory disclosure which would, A, set out who you're representing, and then there would have to be a mandatory uh, acknowledgement and uh, an allowance for there to be a dual agency. But in all honesty, nobody understands these things that they're signing. And if you ask the common person in a real estate transaction, are you, are you okay with dual agency? They really wouldn't know what you were talking about. I think that's true, and I think it's being said that a lot of real estate agents don't know. But let me get back to two points. You made a point uh, about um, the separation because you want to, you did not want to disclose, like, financial information. I can't tell you, as a listing agent, I can't tell you that most of the offers I get come with a pre-approval far above what they're offering. And what that means to me as the listing agent, they have more money. You know, they're telling me. But when you're a buyer broker, don't you say, go back to your mortgage uh, I broker do. And, I do. and lower that right. number? Right. I, I do. And back good agent. the exact amount yes. you want to put in there. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the address. That's the right way to do it. So um, the other point I wanted to make is the uh, our realtor, not everybody's a realtor, I understand that, but the Realtor Code of Ethics has a, us focused on the land and the property and the community. And isn't that above the individual? And isn't a realtor held to make sure that it's highest and best use of the land? Isn't that their first uh, goal? Well, it, 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 I think if you look at the NAR Code of Ethics, uh, you know, their first rule is protect the, the interest of your client. Yes. You know, their so-called Hippocratic Oath is first protect the interest of your client. That's first and foremost amongst all of the NAR uh, Code of Ethics. And I think, again, if you're looking at dual agency, 
it, it really can run afoul of that one main principle of, you know, being in the best interest, doing things in the best interest of your client. Uh, again, because you're representing two clients in the transaction, two separate parties in the transaction that are negotiating with each other. Um, and I think it's kind of impossible to meet, you know, rule number one of the NAR Code of Ethics when you do that. Yeah, and I disagree on this point. I do actually do dual, uh, dual agency fairly often, and I have worked on both sides of the deal. If you're a savvy agent, you understand, you see the two parties, the buyer and the seller, beginning to come together. You don't need to know specific kinds of details to understand they have a core driving emotion to purchase or not to sell, or to sell, either way. You would know that. Well, I, go ahead. And I know you, Larry, and I know, and I know that that's exactly right. You're 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 the type of broker who really, in that scenario, is not looking to take advantage of one party or the other, and you're you're facilitating this transaction. And I think that's the way everybody should try to do it. And if you look at Rhode Island, Rhode Island has actually taken the term agency out of brokerage, and they are now all basically facilitators. And by taking the term agency out. They eliminate all of those fiduciary obligations, and so in that scenario, it's not really a conflict anymore because you're not a fiduciary, so you're not breaching any fiduciary obligation. Now it's buyer and seller beware. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, if you're if you're working with a reputable you know uh, broker like Larry, these are the things we don't worry about. However, there yeah, are many are. people in the, in, 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 in the field, and just as there are attorneys and just as there are doctors who are not at the top of their game, and uh, will take advantage of this relationship in favor of the seller uh, to get a higher price, to get a better deal. And, you know, that's the thing that people need to watch out for. They want to go to a reputable real estate broker who they understand has uh, that code of ethics, that that belief that they have to serve their clients uh, first and foremost in the best way possible, and in those scenarios, I'm not as worried about dual agency. Uh, however, we we you know it's not always possible to know whether or not uh, the particular uh, broker is going to act in that fashion. Right, and I I have never. I was on the grievance committee uh, for GBAR for many and for MAR for many years. I, I chaired it uh, one year, I think it was 2017. I can't speak as a chairman or as a member of any of those committees, but I can tell you over those many years, I never heard one dual agency uh, um, complaint. It was always uh, one agent versus another agent or one agent versus a consumer, always about money. Right. Well, that's because it's uh, realtors. Uh, you, you see those complaints right. in, the, in the courts. I see. Yeah. The, other, the other thing is that a lot of realtors do not understand that they don't have to be dual agents. So let's say you have a listing of 125 Main Street and someone comes in and they want to see 125 Main Street. You don't have to become their agent in order to show them that property. You can give them the mandatory disclosure that says right. that I am the seller's agent, but I'm going to help facilitate this transaction with you. And they go to the property, and if the person likes it, uh, there's no need for dual agency. Right. You just have them sign the disclosure. On the other hand, we find that a lot of brokers, 
want to have them sign it right up front in case they don't like that house. They want to lock them in to make sure that they're representing them in any other house they might look at. I see. Well, that's a, that's a, okay, so you bring up a good point. I mean, by law, we're supposed to whip out that disclosure. Let's say it's not an open house. It's a private showing. And you bring out the disclosure, which we're supposed to do by law, and we always do it. <laughs> Don't laugh. We always do it. Um, and we, we sign, we have them sign that uh, we are representing the seller. But now, now we want, or, or vice versa, you know, may, maybe we just say, okay, you're, you're a buyer. I'm going to represent you, but you can't do that. So it's got to be the seller. It's it's confusing, isn't it? A little bit because now I, it is because I, now now you got to go out and get them to sign another disclosure that says you're the buyer's representative when you show them other property. Right. It, it's a lot of explaining that needs. And the agency disclosure does not have an address on it, does it? It doesn't. No, it does not. Right. So no, you have to no. write somewhere on the second one that the first one is now terminated. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's the latest. It's the latest one. So okay. you date them. So if you've gotten them initially as a buyer agent, and then they want to see your listing, and you want to become the seller's agent as well, but you had them sign a buyer's disclosure, you could sign the second disclosure, just date it and time it after the first one, and the first one is no longer valid. The second one is the one that controls. You're a thousand percent sure the first one is not valid, no matter what. It wouldn't be valid because they, they, they've now agreed to, to engage you as a dual agent. So it, it doesn't negate the first one. It enhances the first one by adding additional information on it, and that is, yes, you're representing me as a buyer, but now I'm also acknowledging you can represent me. From, you can represent the seller in this transaction as well. It's kind of like Jeffrey Epstein's will. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, uh, how about this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't see the analogy. Only Larry would but, bring that yeah, up. Exactly. <laughs> I, I did read um, in, uh, I think it was the uh, uh, RE49R05 dual agency in the MassGov thing, that represent, the, the word represent uh, is equal to fiduciary responsibility. So when you represent someone, then you have a fiduciary responsibility to them. Uh, is that a correct reading of that? Um, I, I I would say probably. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't really looked at it that deeply, but I would say if you are saying to someone, I am going to represent your interests, and those interests are fiduciary interests, then I would say yes, you have a fiduciary responsibility. And so ends that portion of the show that we call stump the attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers online. Go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. Do we have news today? We have a pretty interesting news. I don't know if you've, you've heard this, Mike, but uh, the negative interest rates in the Danish bank. Yeah, love it. Yes, I read about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were trying to encourage So, so we, we figured it out. We figured it out. We we get, we got the word. It's uh, it it's, it's being subsidized by the government, right? Right. Which yeah. which which I mean, means I, I actually had a, I actually had a loan that at one point a mortgage loan that was prime minus two and a half, and I was paying a half a percent interest. Yeah, but that's 
a plus number. This is a right. negative. Yes. negative number. Yeah. So yeah. it's only a matter of time before the end of the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, just, we're just winding this debt ever <laughs> higher. The and, world as we know it. And, and no one is going to pay this debt, or we're all going to pay this debt. Something's going to happen. Well, it's, it's, it's not dissimilar to a lot of states that are encouraging young people to both live there and move there by giving out uh, uh, stipends each year to young people of ten dollars and $15,000 if they'll come to move to uh, rural areas of certain states. North Dakota? To, to populate them. Yeah. So yeah. We, we have seen it in the United States, just not in the mortgage realm. Hmm. I, I think when it's a random uh, thought, but it, it's interesting about Johnny Appleseed. Everybody thinks that, uh, you know, he, he was uh, just having a wonderful time out there uh, making apples. But apples during his time when he was working, if you planted ground and a product uh, and a uh, fruit or vegetable came out of it, you owned that land. So really, right. he was he was a speculator. He was going up and down in what? these fertile valleys, planting the apples. By the way, is that really true? Yeah, this is really true. So he yeah. would plant that's an true. orchard, and he would yeah. say, "That's my orchard." It would be his orchard. And interestingly enough, it was when apples it was crab apples, and they would he would come through again at the end of the season, and they'd make whiskey. For, they'd make crab apple uh, alcohol from okay. it. Okay. So he was a real estate guy and a liquor guy. <laughs> wow. I love Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> I, I would that, never that's a good story. That. Great story. <laughs> anyway. I hope you have another one. We have five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, one of the things I always liked about Mike and, and when he, these would be four-hour uh, courses, two hours, and, you know, at some pretty dry stuff, wouldn't you say, Mike, at times? Uh, yeah, the topics weren't spectacular, so I had to work hard to make it interesting and fun. He'd always start with a joke, and uh, they were generally, even the, the one or two that, I, that you repeated every once in a while, I still love them. They were always good jokes. Where do you get your jokes, Mike? Well, forget the where do you get them. Do you have a good real estate joke? We always end the show with a real estate joke. Well, I, I, I don't have many real estate jokes, uh, unfortunately. I, don't, I can't recall a real estate joke, but I... I, I always have clean jokes, so I can give you a clean joke if it's not a real estate joke. That's oh, okay. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. Take, we'll take it. Or, uh, or was there more right. news? No? So a husband and wife and the mother-in-law uh, go to uh, Israel, and uh, unfortunately the mother-in-law passes away. So the undertaker says to the husband, um, well, we can bury your mother-in-law here in the, in the Holy Land for $500 or... Uh, for $10,000, we could have her shipped back to your home. And uh, the husband thought for a little while, and he said, um, I, I think we'll ship her back home. And the undertaker said, well, I don't understand. You said that your mother-in-law was a, 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 a religious woman. You told me that, and, and, and now I'm offering to have her stay here, be, be buried here in the Holy Land, uh, but you'd rather spend $10,000 to send her home? And the man said, well... You see, about 2,000 years ago, a man died here, and then three days later he rose from the grave, and I can't take that chance. <laughs> Very good. That's yeah. a Jesus joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, they, they all had to be clean, and they had to be corny. Exactly. So now that I have you laughing, let's talk about dual agency. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll tell you. I, I honestly think that Massachusetts um, is going to have to change its agency laws, and I think other states will at some point. I think it would be good for Massachusetts to look at Rhode Island as an example in New England uh, of a state that really has uh, more aptly codified their laws relating to um, to do uh, to uh, to agency to brokerage, and in addition to that, uh, they have basically a statutory form of purchase and sale agreement which again, we don't have in this jurisdiction. And it's something that I think is necessary because it really takes lawyers right out of the whole process in New Jersey, I mean, in the, excuse me, in, in Rhode Island, in uh, Connecticut, in New Hampshire, in Maine, um, only Massachusetts in this particular region do we find attorneys being so integrally involved in drafting of the purchase and sale agreement. Um, where in all these other jurisdictions, it's really primarily done by real estate agents. Really? Well, I sold real estate in Florida. It was uh, trust companies there. Same with Texas. Yeah. Right. In those com- and there are attorney states in which attorneys are more involved. And Massachusetts is one of those attorney states. But so is Connecticut. And Connecticut, the attorneys down there, leave it to the brokers to, to deal with the purchase and sale agreement. Um, but but when attorneys... There's uh, a lot of money, you know? Attorneys are the ones that are going to change the laws. They have no incentive to change the laws. Would well, it, and that's pretty much it. Would, would it be the Board of Realtors is just going to come up with uh, a, a new, you know, Bill Mullen, the attorney for the Greater Boston Real Estate Board? Why can't he draft uh, an well, offer? Well, it, yeah, it wouldn't. I think anybody wouldn't could, could craft a, at least a statutory purchase and sale agreement um, like they did in Rhode Island, and they can use Rhode Island as an example because it's a pretty good one. It mandates inspections. It mandates mortgage contingencies. You have to affirmatively waive them. Um, it has all of these things in it, and it, it doesn't, there aren't a lot of negotiating points. Everybody kind of sticks with the agreement. Okay. Mike, I, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to yeah, you. Really uh, appreciate you coming you, on. Mike. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. So, Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. So until next week, this is Jim. And this is Larry. Sing. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Broker Talk.